This podcast is brought to you by the book, The Memoir Project, a thoroughly non-standardized text for writing in life, published by Grand Central Publishing. Recently updated and reissued in a new edition, it will teach you everything you need to know to write memoir. For more information, see the show notes or purchase wherever books are sold. Welcome to QWERTY. I'm Marion Roach-Smith. Each episode, I talk to writers from all genres to discover what makes a good read. And along the way, we discuss their writing process, discover their tips, and talk about what matters most to writers. So step away from the computer or typewriter for a bit and join us. Today, my guest is Dee Collin. She's an author, visual artist, teacher, and performer whose work I've read and seen on several platforms. She's the director and MC of Poetic Vibe, a weekly poetry open mic in upstate New York. These days, that happens on Zoom, but one of these days, it will be back every Monday night in the Troy Kitchen in Troy, New York, and the crowds, again, will be whooping it up. Dee is the author of two collections of poetry, Dreaming in Creole, and Said the Swing to the Hoop. She is a fellow of Kabe Kanem and of the New York State Writers Institute. Welcome, Dee. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to have you here. I'm such a huge fan of your work, and I've seen you read and perform, and wow. So I recently had the fine poet Ellen Bass on QWERTY, and we talked about a question that I guess I'll now ask everybody, um, whether we're on the air or before we go on, because we talk a lot about identity these days, thank goodness, and I think we're making slow, but at least a little progress toward learning the language of who we are and who others are and learning how to be respectful and accurate. So as I said to Ellen, um, I expect poets to be kind of good at this. So how do you identify yourself? I identify myself a bunch (laughs) of different ways. (laughs) Well, Mm -hmm. one, I'm a black woman um, and I come from a Haitian background. My parents came here from Haiti um, to start a new life. And I'm first generation American uh, born here. Um, I'm an artist. I think I've been an artist my entire life and it took me a roundabout mm-hmm. way of like identifying that as a thing that I want to pursue full time. Um, and I'm a writer. Uh, so there's a lot of different ways to identify like who I am. Um, but mm-hmm. at the core of me is art. Um, I'm very proud to be black. I'm very proud to be a woman. Um, and yeah. I think all of those things, those layers feed my writing on a daily basis. Yeah, I think they do too. And I think perhaps the very best way we might be able to ask you to identify yourself after that is to have you read something for us. And I'm going to ask you to do that in a minute. Um, But I, I was really struck reading a recent blog post of yours and rereading that wonderful quote from the ever great Nina Simone that says, it is an artist's duty to reflect the times in which we live. Mm -hmm. And that seems to me to be also a tremendous identifier for you. You seem to have a great agility for the time and the moment. And um, I just really, I think it's important. These times are so debilitating. And while I live by the adage that that we have to participate in the conversation, it seems to me the choices you're making right now about what to respond to is difficult. So how do you do that as an artist, a performer, a poet? How do you choose amid the myriad things that are 
pounding on our heads right now to respond to? Um, I think one, I'm very present in the moment. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've always been that way. Um, I'm very observant about what's going on around me. Um, But also I feel things heavily. Um, And especially Mm -hmm. when uh, there are things that are affecting me on a personal level. Um, At times I feel the need to write those things out so that I can um, take care of myself. So sometimes I'm writing and it's really it's really for me to exhale um, more than it is uh, about writing a piece for others to read. Um, And what happens is when I write a piece um, that's like about what I'm feeling at the time, it ends up helping other people because other people are are, uh, sometimes feeling the same things that I'm feeling. Um, and so I, I just rock with that. I, I roll with that, and um, it's helped. Uh, it's helped kind of like guide where I go with my writing. So um, I'm very aware of what's going on in the world, and there's so much going on in the world. Um, and when I look at the news, you know, and think about uh, the protests that are happening or participating in protests. It's, it's important for me to talk about that. Um, it's important yep. for me to talk about my life mattering as a black woman um, and also mm-hmm. to kind of speak to the intersectionality of both of those identities. Um, mm-hmm. And even uh, experiencing uh, being at home and losing work because of COVID and that kind of thing. Like all of those things are, um, they're not just things that are happening. Like there are things that I can talk about. And uh, for the people who are searching for the language to talk about those things but don't have that language, I I o- always hope that my work um, is something that can resonate with someone who's looking for the words but can't find them. Oh, it's just perfect. I love that. I feel the need to write things out so I can take care of myself. I may need to uh, put that up on a wall, actually, <laughs> but I think you're right. And extending that language out into the world allows others to move, metabolize, integrate, and have the experience, too. That's great. And my my own education as a writer began in poetry, and my parents read aloud poetry to me. Lots of epics, lots of those, you know, midnight rides of Paul Revere kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then with lots of nature thrown in. And then I discovered Emily Dickinson on my own. And that just slowed me right down and taught me to look at each word. But right there in that short intro to my poetry education, there's lots of privilege. Two parents, both college educated, both who read to me. So parents, reading, books in my house, time to study and read. And I was able to, with that background, to become a professional writer and support myself. Mm -hmm. So give us a little background on your own poetry education, if you would, please. Um, I I think all of it came from school first. Um, Mm -hmm. I I didn't, my parents weren't the kind of parents who read to me. Um, What we read in the house was the Bible. Um, but there were there weren't any like bedtime stories, um, so that there was that. But my parents were very strict about me reading a lot. Um, my mom mm. made sure that I had a library card, and I was always checking books out at the library. And I had to read those books in addition to whatever I was reading in school. So um, mm-hmm. education was huge in my household. 
Uh, my parents expected A's <laughs> and, you know, a B minus was like, what is that? What is a B minus? Um, <laughs> so, um, so, it makes my chest tight just yeah. to hear a B minus. Yeah, <laughs> right. I it get was, it. What is a B minus? <laughs> um, and so I knew that I had to excel in school. And part of that was reading a lot of books. Um, I also read some of the books on my father's bookshelf. And I think that helped me a lot, too, because uh, most of his books are in French. Um, And so I just read whatever I could get my hands on. Uh, My first Mm. the first time I ever wrote a poem, I was in sixth grade. And the assignment was to uh, write a poem that included a metaphor and a simile. And mm-hmm. um, my teacher loved my poem so much that she put it up on the bulletin board. And I was so proud of myself. <laughs> so, oh. And I've been writing poems ever since then. Um, so that was my first introduction to uh, one, uh, my ability to writing poems and also um, me searching for other poets to read. I had, I love that, the, up on the board. Yeah. I mean, that's it, right? <laughs> I mean, if you if you get to a shrink and they say, give me three totemic moments in your life, up on the board is definitely right. one of the positives, <laughs> right? I had the great experience at a, at a 25th college reunion that uh, two of my best friends, the guys that I was great friends with in college came back. So we're, you know, whatever age you are then, you're 35 or, you know, approaching 40. And they behaved just horribly at our 25th reunion. They drank, they chased women, they both complained about their marriages, their wives didn't understand them. And I was crushed because I loved these guys. And I remember I ran into my Shakespeare professor and I complained to him and I said to him, my friends are so disappointing. I, I mean, I just don't get it. They're behaving so badly. He looks me right in the eye and he says, they didn't read enough poetry in mm. college. And I thought, I totally get what you mean, right? They didn't, they hadn't read also enough John Cheever or enough whomever who know who lets you know that, you know, marriages do get disappointing after a certain point and you kind of, kind of step up and do your part. Mm-hmm. But I loved that. They haven't read enough poetry. And I, and I got it. I understood what he meant. And so my question to you is, who would you like to assign to read a little poetry right now in the world? Oh my goodness. There's so many. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Give me three. Um, <laughs> I've got a little. I've got a short wow. list. Okay, give so, me or give me a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Audrey Lord is perfect for right now. Um, mm-hmm. Anything by Audrey Lord <laughs> is perfect for mm-hmm. right now. Um, I also think Langston Hughes has such a wide. He has such a large collection of poetry that, um, and they're very short. Um, yes, they're very short poems. So I think uh, Langston Hughes for any kind of like reflection or maybe a journaling prompt or meditation, um, Langston Hughes would be perfect. Um, I also think um, Patricia Smith. Mm-hmm. Poems by Patricia Smith. If anyone's looking to read um, poems, um, I know like. Uh, there are people who are kind of like waking up right now and reading more to kind of gain some understanding. Um, and Patricia mm-hmm. Smith uh, has a book called Incendiary Art um, that is amazing. Um, is she has poems in there that are from the perspective of moms who have lost 
uh, their children to police violence. Um, and so if anybody's mm-hmm. looking for like work that can speak to that um, to gain some understanding, I would really recommend that book. And anybody in particular that you'd like to have read that poetry? Have you got a short list of people in power who you think should be sat down in a chair and read to at this point? Um, I th- I think that, you know, if if anyone's in the police force, they can read that book. Um, if anyone's mm-hmm. in the mayor's office, they can read that book. Um, anyone mm-hmm. in some kind of position of power uh, should read that because it, it really um, frames it in a way that I I don't think you can read it and not feel something, you know? Yeah. That would be great. I I agree with you. Let's get to a common text of feeling. And years and years ago, somebody taught me the value of having a text in common. It was a humanities program that I was part of. And I watched while everybody settled into the same language, space, story. And while we all knew that from school, we didn't because school is kind of competitive and weird. And you're, as you said, your parents are demanding something of you. And you're not really thinking about that shared cathartic experience mm-hmm. in the room that you get with a shared text. But but that's a, that's a beautiful suggestion, some Patricia Smith. Thank you for that. So how about you give us a little bit of a shared experience? Would you consider reciting or, or reading something for us and telling sure. us what it is and which collection it's from, or maybe it's something new? I'd love to hear something. So I have two new poems. Um, Good. And one, one poem uh, is called Red Leaf Tree in Summer. Um, mm-hmm. And it's uh, it taps into some of my process of uh, trying to write a poem. Um, this poem came from me trying to re- revise a, a different poem um, that was about police brutality. Um, and so here's the poem. Great. It is August and the trees stand still green from summer because it is in fact summer. Yet there is one tree. If you happen to look from your car window while riding or driving on the thruway with all of its leaves turned crimson already, as if to say, look at me and how I bleed among the rest. And I want to write a poem about how summer doesn't want to spend time here anymore, how the earth changes her mind and how the sun used to play longer with trees. How strange red leaves hang on branches in August. But there it is, this simile ringing in my head, this red leaf tree surrounded by a forest of green, like a black body holding on to what's left of itself. And so often I want to run from this type of poem, tongue swollen from biting too hard on, too hard on the words. Here is this black body, another one, shot, holding the wrong object or nothing at all, in a car, in a corner store, on the side of the road, on the night before graduation or a wedding, on a regular walk home, waiting to taste the rainbow, another black body, bleeding, a familiar kind of death. And I still want to write a poem about a red leaf tree, hold a remnant of it here, but instead I have added more black bodies to the black bodies I was already holding in my mouth, I want to have this art whittled into submission till it's smoothed like a bullet, till it chokes on its own dust, till this type of poem in particular becomes unnecessary. But a poem can't swallow a bullet the way a black body can. Mm. 
Perfect. Thank you. And I have one more really short poem. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, that, that um, would be lovely. Please read us another short one. That would be wonderful. Um, and if anyone is near the art center of the ca- the capital region, uh, this poem is on in the Troy, New York. in Troy. Yeah, it, this poem is on the windows. For the days ahead, I left this poem open just for us to climb into when we've lost our keys, to let the air in. When, when we've lost our breath and the light when we've forgotten the sun to serve as a mirror and see our own reflections holding each other up. On days when hope dwindles, know this window is here to remind us it's not all gone, that it never went away, even if we had to press ourselves against the glass to find out the hope we're waiting on is us. Oh, the hope we're waiting on is us, isn't it? Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. You opened your first collection, Dreaming in Creole, in a deeply autobiographical way. We, there's a piece of memoir in it, mm-hmm. and, and it continues throughout the piece. I, I was stunned by you. You bring us in in this context of memoir, and the rest of the pieces continue to inform us. But there's this poem, Prayer for Her, in which we witness you extorting yourself to pick up the pen and write the music in your four-year-old voice. And it allows us to know that you're first-gen Haitian-American and some of the conflict from the world that you now inhabit versus the one you used to inhabit. Mm -hmm. And it begs the question, what are we doing when we write? I mean, clearly we're not just saying, you know, we're not exposing ourselves to reader. What are we doing in these last two poems that you wrote, just read for us? And, And in that poem, Prayer for Her, I was particularly struck by the revelations, but you're not just trying to show yourself to me. What are you doing? Um, I, it's like a poem is, is so in a poem, you have less time to kind of uh, express to the world what it is that you're trying to express. Like in a novel, you have all these pages and pages of words, right? And you have more time. Mm-hmm. But in a poem, you have but so much time to kind of capture a moment. And that moment speaks to a larger lens of things. Um, it's like looking at a pin drop to under. It's look, looking at a drop of water to understand the whole ocean. So that's what a poem, yeah. I feel, is trying to do all the time. Um, and so, mm-hmm. like, for me, it's about tapping into, well, what is this poem trying to do? And what is it exactly that I'm feeling? Um, and then what do I want the the reader to also feel um, while I'm mm. writing? So and and also there's another another way of looking at it. Um, it's like channeling something else, you know, that I am kind of like the vessel, and we get like these thoughts and we get words that pop into our imagination, and it's kind of like a patchwork kind of thing of sewing those things together to create this craft um but letting mm-hmm. it letting it direct you um mm-hmm. and having like a balance of when you go back to like revise you know, not to torture the poem <laughs> um to just kind of like ask the poem what it wants um if that makes any sense makes all the sense in the world asking the poem what it wants and what makes all the sense in the world i love the pin drop I love the drop of water to reveal the ocean. 
And so let me use an example of one of your poems that just literally vibrated on the page for me. For every black woman who has been called angry, mm -hmm. you take on, well, you take on that. And this is a topic that comes with all manners of cultural prescriptions and warnings and as a result, of course, is wildly unknown to us. We just don't talk about it. And I was fascinated by it. And I felt like I was being allowed to have a look, like finally hold in my hand, bounce up and down, weigh every black woman who has been called angry. And I thought, it's like, shame on me. I could have asked any black woman I know about her anger, but I haven't. Mm. And I thought, what's, what am I experiencing here? And I, the word that popped into my head was intimacy. And I thought, it allows me some intimacy with this. And you said pin drop. And I get it, this small moment of enormous power, mm -hmm. of enormous energy. So my word is intimacy. You, you use pin drop, you use drop of water. Um, what about, so, so when you go to, so, so you, you already gave me your words for it and I, and I, and I'd want to put you on the spot and say, well, what else have you got? But so let's go back to that topic. What about that anger? Uh, what kind of fuel is it for poetry? Does it, is it, does it, is it a better fuel than love? Is it a great fuel? Is it, talk, talk to me about that poem and, and just what it, you were allowing us to see there. Well, for that particular poem, um, it's really about, uh, well, it started with me thinking about my experiences of uh, really trying not to be angry. Um, you know, mm -hmm. having to sit in a room, uh, whether it's with coworkers or with a boss or um, as a boss with employees <laughs> or um, in so many different, uh, or in a classroom um, that it's happened to me in classrooms and writing workshops um, where I'm I, I've been the only black person there and having to explain my existence um, and do it calmly or do it in a way that so people don't feel intimidated. And so that that's something that's been um, um, around for me for I don't even know mm -hmm. how long, probably my whole life. I have no idea when it started, but I just know that um it, it, it's come with the territory of being a black woman um, and not being able or having to try to navigate conversations without coming across as angry so that I don't get dismissed in what I'm trying to say. Um, and so that's like a, a push and pull kind of struggle all the time in rooms, um, mm -hmm. especially when I'm the only one. So... That poem was just kind of like, well, why don't I have rights to my own anger? You know, everyone else in the world has rights to their own anger. It's okay to be angry. Um, and anger doesn't necessarily have to be a negative emotion. Anger can fuel so many other things that are, are positive. Um, anger mm -hmm. can fuel change, you know. Um, like we wouldn't protest well, if we weren't angry. Up, right, right, exactly. So, um now people are probably going to be wondering about the poems. Now I want to like share the poem. <laughs> so I want them to go buy that book yeah. and read that poem. So I think th because that's where it ultimately ends up, which is a fascinating place. You took me into an intimacy that was also one of the revelation of the power, the positive power you think that the anger can ultimately beget. Mm -hmm. and, and I love that. 
I love that. So they right. have to go buy the books to yeah, get it. Yeah, it's, it's not that we're not angry. You know, there's so many black mm-hmm. women I could reference in history that I have to look at their life and say they had to be angry at one point to yeah. do the work that they did. Oh, yeah. I think that's true. I, I really admire the way you deliver the language. And I, I say that in, in the very much using the word deliver, the, the active way you, you present. There's a presentation here that's very strong and very deliberate. You have in your collection, said the swing to the hoop, a poem called The Poem, it, which is now my new favorite express, experience of writing about writing, in, mm-hmm. in which the poem identifies itself in ways that I simply like want a needlepoint onto something or a tattoo onto some place of my body about the process of writing. When you write that the poem be like you, the messenger, I'm here, I'm just here to make sure you speak, mm-hmm. the poem says, I'm just here to make sure you speak. And I have to say that's that's perfect as you describe the poem as hallelujah language. And you go on to show us what writing does for us. So you, that's what I was saying before, the delivery of, the, of what the anger does for us in the poem we were just referring to, you do the same for, you deliver to the reader what the writing does for us. So is that what writing does for you? It it allows, it says this, it gives you this hallelujah language. But let's just let's just talk a little bit about your process of writing and, and what it really does for you. Um, yes. Poetry is definitely my hallelujah language. <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely. And and this might be like uh I don't I don't know if like it's over the top, but I can say that I wanna say that poetry has saved my life. Um, mm-hmm. in the sense of I've been through so many things. Uh, been I've had trauma. Um, um, I've gone through abuse. Um, it's just so many other. There's so many things that I've experienced in my life that poetry um, became an outlet for. And I, you know, I really don't know if I didn't have that kind of an outlet. I'm not sure what my mental health would be like. Um, and I mean, what what it really does is it holds space. Um, it holds space to hold the things that I don't want to hold um, hmm. in my body anymore. Um, and so, like, there's things that Ooh. take up space in my mind. Um, sometimes you have stress. Stress will appear in your body in different ways, and writing it down helps that. Um, mm-hmm. also, also professional therapy helps that too, <laughs> say, mm-hmm. but, Absolutely. um, but yeah, I, you know, when I write things down, especially when it's, uh, when it's focused on, um, a traumatic event or is focused on, um, big emotions like anger or sadness, um, or mourning, um, it, it allows me to, um, have space have space in myself by putting it down on the paper so that's not taking up space in my mind anymore and that re- that's a relief um so it functions writing for me functions in that sense the other thing that uh, the other way that it functions is that um through my years of performing i realized the importance of reading poems out loud and so like there's there's part of the process is thinking about 
getting everything down on a page. But then also the other part of the process for me is how will this read, uh, how will I read this out loud and what uh, what do I want the takeaways to be? Um, mm. So I always ask myself that uh, with every poem um, because there's always one person in the audience that a poem is for. And people mm-hmm. uh, take uh, what they need from from poems and they leave inspired or they uh, leave moved. I always say that if um, if I do a poem, if I perform a poem and nobody was moved in the room, then I didn't do my job. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's how I approach it. Well, I've been to your your poetry vibe nights and they draw huge enthusiastic crowds. And I think your generation has brought poetry back into the, I think of it as the arena, it, it seems to me. My 25-year-old daughter goes to Poetry Slams. She, she's the one that brought me to yours and to your poetry vibe. And, and you and I live in upstate New York, an area that has only about 12% diversity. And yet those Poetry Vibe Nights are also the most diverse cultural events I attend. Why do you think this is? Why do you think that this verbalization of the space we make that I love that idea that you make space for things you no longer have to carry in your body. Your generation loves the poetry slam. They does. My daughter went to them all through college in Washington, DC. What's going on? Why is that? And thank you. Um, (laughs) I'm so glad they're back. Well, they never really went away. I mean, one, Poetry Slam is a competition, um, and that's been going mm, on for a long time. Um, and then there's been poet, poetry open mics um, for a long time, too. I remember when I first came to this area, one of the things, the first things that I did uh, was look for uh, poetry open mics. And so I went to Albany Poets, I looked at their calendar, and I went to as many open mics as I could. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, coming from Connecticut, I had already been going to open mics and I had been competing in poetry slams. Um, And so I I already had like some experience uh, with the poetry scene. But coming to the capital region, being brand new in this area, um, I was looking for kind of the community that I left back home. And what I observed was that the audience and the poets weren't, um, it wasn't a diverse community. Um, and I was like, well, why is that? You know, it was, I could go to an open mic and then it would be, you know, um, just one demographic. And then I'd go to another open mic and then it'd be only one other demographic. And I'd be like, what's going on? Like, why aren't we mixing together? Like, it, poetry doesn't have to be... Um, for example, like an older white audience and then like a young black audience. We can all like have poetry together. Um, And so Mm -hmm. my vision for Poetic Vibe was to have all the voices on the stage. And I Mm -hmm. wanted all the voices on the stage because if we don't have all the voices on the stage, then we're only speaking to each other. And for yep. me, there's no progress in that. So, and art is supposed to do some things for us. It's supposed to help us um, be inspired. It's supposed to um, help us kind of like have a critical lens on some things or re-examine ourselves. You know, to move in the world differently than we did before we experienced the art. And so, um, but to do that, we need all the voices in the room. And um, so, I I really pushed for that and. Um, 
I'm happy that Poetic Vibe is what it is right now. We've really had like every voice on stage. It's amazing. It is amazing. And I'm so grateful for it. And I think that's the best description, every voice on stage. So as we wrap this up, I just want to, you're, you're another one of, of several interviews that I've done in the last couple of months where you clearly did not get the memo when you started out to be an artist, or as you said, you've been an artist all your life, but that you're supposed to specialize. You have been involved with community theater since 20, <laughs> 2009. You write plays, you act with Black Theater Troupe of Upstate New York and the Sandglass Theater and Creative Action Unlimited, and you wrote your your original play, Simone, I know, debuted with Cap Rep in 2019, Mm -hmm. and you've received the League of Women Voters Presidential Award for your astonishing reenactments of Sojourner Truth. So that memo didn't go to you, where they said, (laughs) just do one thing, young artist, and don't try to get it all over and get good at anything else. So give a little advice to the person who's listening here and who's saying, I want to write a little memoir, I want to write a little poetry, I want to get up and speak my truth, I want to be diverse in my expression. Is that, how did you allow yourself to do that? Uh, That wasn't easy. Um, (laughs) uh, Well, one, I grew up in a household where the choices for a career were like doctor, lawyer, engineer. Uh, (laughs) So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> art, art, uh, being a full-time poet, a writer, that just wasn't one of the choices. Uh, and uh, so it took me a long time to um, be receptive to the idea of uh, doing all the things that I do now. Um, but I had a professor in grad school and uh, she was talking to us one day in her lecture. She just veered off the lecture and said um, that she used to write plays. Um, and uh, she was in law school um, and trying to write plays, but trying to focus on law school. But she was miserable in law school. <laughs> she had to ask herself why she was in law school. And um, uh, her son who was three, she told this story about him going to the cookie jar and she asked him how many cookies he wanted and he said, all of them. And she said, well, you can't have all the cookies. You know, how many cookies do you want? He said, all of them. And for some reason that it clicked in her mind that why do we always feel like we have to pick one thing? There are so many things that we have gifts for and we should be able to use all of our gifts. And I had a whole bunch of light bulbs go off in my head when she told that story in class. And I was like, oh, I don't have to pick one of my gifts. I can use all of them. You know, if I want to sing with a poem, I can do that. If I want to act, I can do that. If I want to write something other than poetry, I can do that. So um, I don't limit myself in that sense because um, it's a gift. And to stretch the gift means that I need to explore all the things that I'm good at. Perfect. It's a perfect answer. Thank you, Dee. It's lovely having you here. I think I could talk to you all day long. And um, I look forward to getting more chances to do so. Thanks a million. Thank you. The writer is Dee Collin. Her books, Dreaming in Creole and Said the Swing to the Hoop, are available wherever books are sold. Listen to her reader work on her website, dcollin.com. I'm Marion Roach-Smith, and you've been listening to Cordy. Cordy is produced by Overit Studios in Albany, New York. Reach them at overitstudios.com. Our producer is Adam Claremont. Our assistant is Lorna Bailey. 
Want more on the art and work of writing? Visit marionroach.com and take a class with me. And thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to QWERTY and listen to it wherever you go. 